Principal Matters Podcast, episode 248. friends, this is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week we're talking about inspiring and leading learning with my special guest, Latrice D. Younger. Latrice Younger is an instructional lead learner in Virginia. Her passion is English language arts, and she believes that she will always be a teacher at heart. Latrice has a servant mindset, spirit, and attitude that she believes helps keep her grounded. She resides with her son, husband, and the English bulldog, whose name I need to know in just a moment. In her spare time, she loves writing, reading, and social media curating. She is a lead learner. And Latrice Young, welcome to Principal Matters Podcast. It is such a privilege to sit in the room with you. And you know that I always like to ask my guests to share something that listeners might be surprised to know about you. Sure. And um, thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity to meet with you, uh, William. My English bulldog, his name is Jasper, (laughs) Um, and he is five years old. One thing that uh, listeners may be, I guess, intrigued to learn about me is that I am a lover of 90s hip hop, all things 90s hip hop. (laughs) I can listen to it. I can recite it. I can say it verbatim, um, almost any song by any artist of the 90s. Who's your favorite? Um, well, I'm from Queens, New York, so I'll probably get a lot of flack, but probably Notorious B.I.G. All right. Well, maybe I can put that in somehow into the intro music or some way through halfway through the show here, unless I'm violating copyright so you, laws. You may want to make sure you uh, bleep out a lot of the expletives. Well, that's great. Well, Latrice, uh, give us a little insight to the role that you play in your school right now, because as Principal Matters listeners, as you know, some are aspiring leaders, some are assistants, some are uh, head principals, some are folks that have moved into central office, and some folks are outside of um, any of those roles right now. But give us a little insight into what what your what your role is right now, and 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 there are some other things that you do that I want to unpack. But let's talk about your school first. Sure. Um, as assistant principal, I manage all the typical things APs manage, um, predominantly discipline, student discipline. Um, but this year, though, um, in the midst of the pandemic, I've had an opportunity to really put on my instructional hat and um, serve as a, a lead learner with my teachers. I wasn't so distracted by a lot of um, those typical disciplinary matters that happen throughout the year, especially as a middle school AP. Um, and so we got to have like a lot of really rich conversations about instruction and ways in which we could modify and tweak things, especially as we were trying to serve students who had had their learning sort of shortstopped um, last school year about March. Um, and so, you know, my position and my role has always been to support my principal, to support my colleagues. I serve along with uh, two um, assistant principals in my building and the three of us, we are a trio. Uh, we are three ladies who work extremely hard to make sure that we are cultivating an environment that is fun, that's an engaging place to be, and that makes people feel like they want to get up and come to work in the morning. Well, one of the things that you and I have corresponded about is, first of all, you're a listener to the Principal Matters podcast, but you do a lot of work in your school and outside your school connecting with leaders. And I've just admired watching you on social media, Latrice, not only just leading in your school, but also celebrating learning um, in your school as well. And, and I, I, I wanted to park there for a few minutes and talk about 
what that's looked like for you and your school community through this year of pandemic. I know that's been different for everyone across the U.S. and the world, but give us your story a little bit of what this year's looked like for you guys, some of the challenges and some of the opportunities you've had. Well, um, this year has looked very different. Um, it's looked like uh, covering classes for teachers. It's looked like uh, offering teachers the ability to virtually teach and maybe sitting in the classroom and serving as the person um, on in the class for students. Um, it's looked like giving out treats and allowing people to wear casual wear every single day. Um, letting our teachers sort of leave early and not have to stay as late as they traditionally would have to. It's just been a lot of grace giving um, because we know that in this moment, it doesn't really call for us to do a whole lot of data aggregation and disaggregation. Our focus primarily is on um, the care of our students and of our teachers and families. Um, we've sent home postcards to families, just letting kids and families know that we miss them and we were thinking about them especially before um, about fourth quarter when many of our students were sort of permitted to return back physically into the building. And so um, we just wanted to try a lot of new ways to just engage our families and our students and to really show teachers how much we appreciate and love them because they've worked extremely hard this school year. Wow, that's so important. And you know, as I've talked to other principals that decision fatigue and teacher exhaustion have just been two themes that I'm hearing. And so let's just stay there for just a moment too, Latrice. And I don't know if you have advice for other leaders, but as they're thinking about their own decision fatigue and their own teacher exhaustion, what are some things that have been going through your mind and the minds of the other leaders that you're working with to try to navigate the way forward? Absolutely. Uh, well, the first thing is to acknowledge it and know that it is a real thing. <laughs> it is not something you should just suppress. You have to find a way to cope and deal with it. Um, one thing that I know I like to do that I find personal enjoyment with is listening to podcasts, especially since you get to hear other leaders who are sort of venting about the same thing. It's refreshing um, because you don't feel that isolation and you don't feel like you're really alone in this thing. Um, but certainly, you know, watching webinars and reading leadership books, all of those things are very helpful to me. Um, but one thing I would always recommend to anyone is if you are a person of faith, tap into that um, and lean into it all the way, because it is going to be one of the only things that will sustain you in an environment that is so unstable right now. Um, I just I think it's very important for leaders to understand that you're not going to be able to give all of the answers to everyone at all times like you typically would, and that's just going to have to be okay. That's such a great reminder. And I think sometimes we beat ourselves up when we're leading through difficulties, not feeling like we always have the right answers. And so when I think about the, the work that you do as an assistant principal, Latrice, and the work that you've been doing leading through a pandemic, and I, I think about all of the pressures that that leaders have faced this year. In addition to that, I've also admired the work that you've done through your outreach with Black women education leaders. And I, I wanted to ask you some questions also about that conversation, because as you know, um, a year ago, we were all talking deeply about racism and about how to help our students have meaningful conversations. And a lot has happened in the last year, both positive and negative. In some ways, I think that conversation has actually become harder to have in some places. And so I wanted to ask you for some 
some feedback on, first of all, some of the work that you've been doing and why that's a passion area for you. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about how to lead some of those meaningful conversations. But first, just talk a little bit about the inception of your work with Black women education leaders. Sure. Um, the inception story is always so much fun to talk about because this was not ever meant to be a true organization. Um, it started as a Twitter page. And so uh, in uh, November of 2019, I created a Twitter page just to um, amplify the voices of Black women in education leadership. We are so few and far in between. Um, studying about about 2016 uh, by the National Center of Ed Statistics indicated that only about 13% of Black women uh, were in education leadership positions, uh, which is really um, a huge disparity because there were about, at that time, 75% of White women in those positions. Um, and then now there are new reports that indicate that maybe there's about 11% um, of Black women to 78%. So we're still not getting very close in terms of closing that gap. Um, and many Black women are typically elementary school principals, meaning that their salaries are usually a bit lower. Um, and that women usually spend a great deal of time in AP status, and they don't ever really escalate or elevate to positions as principals or even superintendents. And so as I looked at a lot of those things, you know, anyone who looks at those things, especially if you are a Black female, you have a couple of choices. You can either sit and kind of ruminate and wallow about it. Um, or you could choose to be proactive and try to do something to help change it. And so um, along with seven other very brilliant women um, in about March of 2020, so this is the height of the pandemic, um, we decided that we would make Be Well more than just a Twitter social media page. We would try to make it into an actual organization that would um, feature and highlight Black women regularly um, that are education leaders that will provide uh, professional development, a book club, um, offer scholarships to aspiring um, Black female leaders, and just serve as sort of a hub or a place where uh, Black women can feel nurtured in a society that does not always affirm us. Um, and so that's sort of the reason behind my passion to create this organization. Um, and it's what sort of fuels and drives me to just keep going. Um, one thing that's really important, though, to note about Be Well is that is it was never intended to be an exclusionary type of organization. And I just want to make sure that that's very clear. Um, it's just to affirm our status in academia. That's the purpose of it. It was to declare that Black women do belong in these spaces. All of the programs, all of the services, all the scholarships, everything that's offered is just intended to um, inspire growth and sort of build sisterhood and just to affirm um, Black women. So, uh, you know, the organization itself is sort of morphing into more than I'd ever imagined it could be. I'm excited about it. Uh, our membership is in expanding. Um, and I'm just looking forward to ways in which we can continue to partner with people who are not Black women, just anyone who likes to be an ally or affiliate or would like to help push us toward a direction where Black women will no longer be so much of a minority in education leadership because they do belong in um, those education leadership positions to be able to have voice and to make changes, especially as they relate to Black and Brown students. 
That's so powerful. I'm sure you saw this past week, I believe it was Education Week, put out an article about Brown v. Board's decision. And, you know, 65 years after that decision, some of the mm-hmm. statistics that show the number of Black educators and Black principals who lost their positions and, and how those numbers have never improved. And so, it, I, well, I can't say never. I mean, because I don't know the statistics specifically, but they have not significantly improved no, that's over time. Right. And so, you know, so I think sometimes when we when we have conversations about student equity and teacher equity, so often we don't realize that the spares, you know, the disparities that exist in leader equity. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I, I just want to stay there for a moment, Absolutely. Latrice, because um, what are some other ideas that would be helpful for principals who obviously listen to this, education leaders listen to this show often as they're thinking about the, the dynamics that affect their own decisions on hiring and staffing and promotions? What are some things that you would hope they would keep in mind about this conversation? I think it's just important to know um, that there is a place for everyone in education leadership, because especially as it relates to public school, our students come from every walk of life. And so that representation is so pivotal to the upward mobility of our schools, um, to increasing diversity, uh, to making sure that there is someone that can uh, attest to particular uh, families and demographics in an area. Um, It's just important to understand how much representation matters and why it's essential that in your school building, your leadership, as much as possible, can try to reflect either the students that are there and or maybe not. I work in a predominantly uh, white school district, but my me being at that table means a lot because now I have students who are not African-American that can connect and relate to me. They see me as, some of my students call me mom. Um, they see me as a caretaker. They see me as someone who loves and affirms them. And that's valuable because now when they encounter someone who looks like me, post-school, they can understand that there is nothing wrong or they don't have to fear or they don't need to be anxious about being around someone like me. And so it's just important for both sides. It's important for students who look like me to see people like me in my position, but it's also important for students who do not look like me um, to see me and know that there's nothing to fear and that there is a humanness in all of us. One of the things that I have noticed, especially in state politics in the last several months has been pushes by state legislators to try to legislate what conversations can or cannot happen around race in schools. And it really bothers me on a number of fronts, first of all, because most of the people writing those bills don't understand what they're writing about. (laughs) And second, because you and I both know that anytime you try to control the narratives, the thoughts, or even the feelings, which some of this legislation tries to legislate what feelings people can have or not have about race. Mm-hmm. I, I just look at that and, I, and I'm astounded at the um, how naive a legislature would be in thinking that that those that helpful conversations that educators need to be having with students can somehow be legislated the way you can have them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just wanted to stop there for just a moment because this conversation is way more nuanced than just like this perspective on history or this author or this one event. Um, 
there's a lot more nuance involved in these conversations. And I think very few people are actually sitting down and having nuanced conversations. They're just picking sides and then, and then they're shouting over each other's heads or jumping <laughs> in echo chambers. So let's go there for just a moment and talk mm-hmm. about how do, how do leaders navigate some of these weird tensions that are existing right now in our, in our communities? I think the best way is um, to just engage and remember that the goal is not to make people feel guilty. <laughs> Um, I think sometimes that's what happens. It isn't to make people feel shame. It's just to educate. Um, That's our role. And the more we're able to educate people and to remind them of everyone's humanity, the easier those conversations will be. I, um, along with one of my colleagues, uh, Ms. Jody Place, she's uh, a principal at an all-ed school directly across the street from my school. The two of us facilitated a conversation with our district leadership about the criminalization of Black girls. Here I am a Black woman, she is a white female, and we did an awesome job, if I say so myself, um, just facilitating a very open, candid conversation. And the thing that we did that sort of prefaced the conversation to put people at ease was to let them know that the two of us had made mistakes before as education leaders. Um, We had engaged in some pretty poor practices as it related to Black girls in schools we had some implicit biases that we had to get over, um, some class issues that we had to get over. And so I think, you know, when people are honest and they're upfront about their own implicit biases, that breaks down the walls, it takes the barriers away. And so people don't feel that uneasiness that comes from, um, you know, talking about race, which is such a controversial issue. But when we think about ourselves as educators and especially as leaders, how could we not have these type of conversations? How could we not engage students in this way? Because our students are suffering. They're looking for an outlet. They want to have conversation. They do not understand what's going on in society. And so that's our role. Our role is to make sure that we are you know, leading the way. We're being responsible adults. We're able to engage in meaningful conversation and academic discourse without getting angry or defensive. That's so critical. And so, you know, I keep that at the forefront. Any conversation that I have about race, it's about doing it in a way that I can be a role model for children who possibly need to have these same conversations with each other or with other people in the community. Thank you for that. Now, let's role play for just a moment. I was in a conversation with the principal also a couple of months ago, and he was sharing with me a scenario where uh, a language arts teacher was working through just the same curriculum she had used in years past, but it included an excerpt from a book by Trevor Noah. And it was his experiences with police brutality in South Africa. And the application was, what are some of the lessons learned here historically that might apply to some of the things that we're dealing with currently in some of the Mm -hmm. debates over police brutality in the U.S.? And of course, the pushback that he got was that this teacher is trying to push a political agenda on students that's inappropriate. So let's just role play that for a moment because you received that call at school Mm -hmm. um, and you're trying to navigate this conversation meaningfully with a parent who may have some misperceptions or even Mm -hmm. some biases and and may not even realize exactly how they sound when they're even asking these questions. And so let's just role play that for a moment, Latrice, for other leaders to think about how you might, and of course, you know, the dynamics of every conversation are different, but let's just role play that for a moment. How might you respond and try to lead a parent through that kind of conversation? 
Absolutely, because I've had a couple of conversations like that this school year. Um, And so the way that I managed to get through those conversations without having anyone become, you know, terribly belligerent or frustrated is to just affirm and understand them. Um, I listen. I ask the parent very explicitly to tell me what it is that is of concern for them um, and to be very clear about it. I want them to tell me, you know, what in the passage cause any reservation. And then um, I typically had in advance reviewed the whole text or passage because I supervise English language arts. And so I would have come to the table with just some background about the author um, and understanding as to why the teacher is engaging in this type of academic discourse, that it is to promote critical thinking, um, that it is for deeper learning. Um, just trying to lead the parent to understand that there is a reason behind this and not particularly an agenda that is being set. Um, And so, you know, even in the two conversations that I've had with parents and families this school year with regards to some um, text that maybe they thought was pretty controversial, when I walked away from those conversations, the parents were no longer frustrated. I think it's just about not being combative not getting defensive, <laughs> just knowing in your heart of hearts that you are supporting the teacher, you're supporting the text, and you're supporting the learner, and just keeping those things at the forefront. There's so much in there, Latrice, that I would just love to reiterate, you know, supporting the teacher, supporting the students, supporting the parents. You're not, and you're, and you're not doing that exclusive in of anyone else. And so, so I just want to commend you on that, on that response, because I know principal mentors, listeners, you're thinking through the same things that I am. How, what, what can I apply to my own practice? And I think the most important part of that is relationships. How, how do you establish a trusting relationship with someone else so that when they sit in the office with you, or they're on the phone with you, or they're in the school with you, they recognize that you have the same goal they do, which is the best outcome for their kid, Mm -hmm. which is the best outcome for this school, which is the best outcome for this teacher. And so I think sometimes when we, um, what's beautiful about that Latrice is the ability to, with human connection, Mm -hmm. to kind of circumvent some of the craziness that's been going on through social media and, and and political posturing, because there's a lot people can say and think on their Facebook posts or on Instagram. But when you're in the room with someone else and you're trying to have a face-to-face conversation, it really changes the tone of that conversation because then you're talking, I was in, 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 I was in conversation with another friend of mine who um, is a black woman administrator from the Texas area. And she said to me that sometimes her response will be our, um, and I, and I can't quote her, but this is what I remember her saying. Her response will often be, are we talking about the politics of this situation or the humanity mm. of this situation? And I thought, what a, what a beautiful way to transition the conversation Absolutely. because she's, because she's like, I can't answer all the politics, but I can certainly talk about the humanity That's right. involved here. And I thought, what a beautiful way to bring that back to, let's talk about what really matters here. And any other thoughts you want to add to that? Um, no, I think that kind of hit the nail on the head. I think it's always been for me a conversation about humanity. It's always been about what is just and what is right, what is fair for everyone. And as long as we keep that at the forefront, that sort of helps to alleviate a lot of the anxiety that comes from just being fearful about things people just don't know or understand quite yet. Well, Latrice, I'm going to bring this conversation full circle. As you are thinking through next year, 
Um, and I know right now, I hope that you're just thinking about resting because, <laughs> uh, because you guys should be wrapping up school soon. I'm thinking, but, are. um, what are you guys considering? Um, because I'd just love to hear samples of what other folks are considering when it comes to summer and next year. Um, what are your hopes and dreams and aspirations as you look into post pandemic leading a school? Absolutely. Uh, we actually wrap up school in two weeks, <laughs> And so um, it's an exciting time. It's also a very squirrely time for the students. Um, and I know many of the teachers are thinking about summer vacation and rest and relaxation. But one of the things that I'm hopeful that um, my administrative team and the leaders within the building um, will consider doing is to just have a summer retreat, just a one day retreat where we can sort of regroup. We can look at how the year has gone, um, look at the things that we'd like to tweak and modify as we move forward and just have some type of vision for what we want our school to look like um, post the pandemic, because there have to be some changes uh, that take place in order to make sure that our students and families are going to be um, successful and have successful outcomes. I want to come. That, <laughs> you just get, just hearing you say that was like, I was like that, what a great idea, Latrice, to take an opportunity to rest together to enjoy relaxing together and then just kind of refocus together. What a great Ooh. idea. I hope other listeners out there are considering like ways you guys can connect this summer too. But yeah, when you to figure out where your retreat is, just let me know. <laughs> and if I find them in the Virginia area, I might just slide in um, for that conversation. We'll probably be in the local hotel in the uh, <laughs> area. <laughs> but just a way to get out of the school building. is That's important for me. I think we need to regroup and refresh in that way. Well, I agree. Well, Principal Matters listeners, I want you to be able to connect with Latrice. So Latrice, if you could share, first of all, just any closing thoughts you have for leaders as they're wrapping up their year, and then how can leaders stay connected with you? Sure. Um, my one closing thought is to just give yourself some grace. You have lived and worked and served through a pandemic. None of us could have ever anticipated anything like this. I know I wouldn't have in my wildest of dreams. Um, but just to give yourself grace, give yourself as much grace as you've been given to your teachers. Um, because unfortunately, as leaders, we have the propensity to kind of take care of everyone else. And then we're on the back burner and we're not really doing any type of self-care. And so just make sure that you use this summertime to just refresh and, and revive yourself so that you can come back and have something to give in the fall. Um, you can definitely connect with me on Twitter at Latrice Younger. And I welcome everyone and anyone to visit the blackwomeneducationleaders.com website and just learn more about my organization and the beautiful women who helped me to grow it and to uh, mature it. Well, Latrice Younger, thank you for the privilege of sitting in this conversation with you. Thank you for the work you're doing for your school community and for education at large, not just within your own community, but across the U.S. and the world and for sharing your time with Principal Matters listeners today. And Principal Matters listeners, thanks for doing what matters and we'll see you next week. Absolutely. Thank you. You can find other free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com.